This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Zneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. The CERB is ending in less than two weeks, and the government is set to move people over to EI, employment insurance. And with the throne speech on the 23rd of the month, that gives the Trudeau Liberals four days to make any tweaks needed to that legislation. Now, according to a report by the Canadian Centre for Policy Alternatives, Around 4 million Canadians will be affected by this, and only about half, and that's 2.1 million of those, will be eligible for employment insurance, EI. And three-quarters of those who are now relying on the CERB will be worse off. Now, the report also says it will exacerbate one of the inequalities really highlighted by the pandemic, and that is the she session. That's the fact that women are far more affected poorly during this emergency. It's hitting women worse. And not to mention that it's a development that will trickle over into the entire economy and hurt business, given that people will have less money to spend. Like to hear from you, 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. Now let's go to David McDonald. He's the Senior Economist at the Canadian Centre for Policy Alternatives, and Tony Ellenis, President and CEO of the Ontario Restaurant Hotel and Motel Association. Welcome to you both. Thanks for joining us. Good afternoon. Hello. Hello, David. Let's start with you. You are the author of this report. Now, were you surprised by these numbers? Well, I mean, we knew there's about 4 million Canadians on CERB through most of August, just a little bit over. It's been fairly stable for the last month or so. So, I mean, it still might go down a little bit between now and, and, and the end of September. But, uh, you know, we're, we're going to be in that neighborhood. Um, I mean, one of my one of my concerns, I guess, going from CERB onto other programs is that while most people will should be able to gain access through some of the other programs, whether it's EI or whether it's some of these new uh, Canada recovery benefits that are brand new, uh, there are about a half a million people who won't be able to gain access to any of them. Um, and for the folks who do gain access, uh, one of the things I think that they should be prepared for is to receive less money. Uh, so the CERB provided a flat $500 a week, um, but on average, people are going to get $377 a week um, across all these new benefits. So it's a, it's a fair reduction for people, I mean, going from 500 to 377 And the other thing to note is that... Um, all these benefits are taxable, but CERB didn't withdraw that money, uh, didn't withhold that money up front. But EI, as well as these new benefits, these, these Canada recovery benefits, will withdraw that money up front. And so a lot of people are going to notice uh, that they're going to be receiving less. Uh, you know, withdrawing your taxes up front isn't necessarily a bad thing. But, you know, I think people really need to be prepared um, that uh, that the, the, the amount, the support that they're getting is going to change. The other thing that's worth noting is that there's two ways to get CERB. One is through CRA, you know, where you file your taxes. Uh, and the other way is through the, the EI portal at ESTC. Now, if you got CERB through 
through the tax portal, through CRA, you will not be ported automatically over to EI, even if you're eligible. Uh, and so there's almost 800,000 people that are in the, the CRA portal uh, that are EI eligible, but they may not know that they're going to be moved across. And so there may well be delays there. Uh, you know, so it's it's a huge transfer. It's very complicated. I, I'm, my concern is that there's just going to be a lot of people who are going to be caught in between these various programs, not sure how to apply, whether it's being ported correctly, applying to the wrong one. Uh, so anyway, it's, it, it's going to be, I think, a, a, a trying time for a lot of people who, who've lost their jobs. Well, uh, if I'm not mistaken, it was moved from EI to the CRA, the Canada Revenue Agency, because EI couldn't handle it. And moving them back, I, I don't think I have not seen any indication that they will be able to handle it better. Am I wrong? Um, I mean, there will be fewer applications. So if you did go in through the EI portal in the first place, so that's how you apply through CERB, I mean, you're you're in their system, you're set to go, you should hypothetically roll over successfully into EI. So you're not, all 4 million of these folks who are on CERB aren't going to rush the EI portal. They don't, they don't have to uh, necessarily. Uh, but your point, I think, is a good one, which is that, you know, when you get almost a million people who are in the wrong portal and have to reapply for another program, that's a lot of people who they've got to get their paperwork in order. Or, you know, it submits the wrong way. Their employer didn't submit it. To, you know, there's a checkbox that went the wrong way, and all of a sudden people don't get benefits. I mean, when you've got this many people, you're you're just you're bound to get these types of complexity issues. And so, I mean, I think that the folks at, at ESTC have been working hard to make it a simpler application process, faster, and so on. But, I mean, your point is, I, I think, is a good one. There's a lot of people who are going to be moving, moving across, and it's it will be complicated for people. Okay, Tony Alanis, I would imagine that a lot of the people who work in your sector have been on CERB. Uh, yes, they have. And, and the government uh, initiated uh, this program uh, along with the others. And it was good to initiate a program in a time of need. But what I hear from the business community, you know, once the business is starting to open, we are seeing reluctance from many of the workers to go back um, and going to their uh, core job. Uh, and, and that is affecting, you know, the employment uh, and and the operation uh, period on it. So as the industry is opening up and as jobs are available, there has to be some type of a program that is fair both to the employee and to the business on it. And, and I don't know the details around how they're going to go about modifying e- the new EI, if I can call it that, uh, to really comment on it. Well, so is what you're saying basically that the end of CERB could be a good thing for your industry because more people will be motivated to go back to their well, old jobs? It might be a good thing, but the, the issue with the business community really is the phasing out of the Canadian emergency subsidy. Uh, to at least to the hospitality industry, where we have a, a a a long, painful journey ahead of us, we're not out of the woods yet, and that will hurt both employers and employees. Hmm. And uh, in terms of spending, I mean, Tony, it's going to affect a lot of people's ability to spend. Is 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 that another pain point for your industry? Well, that always is, and you know, of course, we need some type of a a true real stimulus program to ensure that there are incentives uh, through some type of rebate 
schemes like other jurisdictions have done to be able to stimulate the confidence of the traveler to move around and visit uh, places. David, you mentioned these newer recovery programs. Uh, it all sounds like it is quite difficult to navigate. Well, it, it may be for folks. I mean, you know, in the worst of the pandemic, there was uh, over 8 million Canadians receiving the CERB. We're down to four. So there, there's certainly been a recovery in the number of people who are receiving this benefit. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think to the point here, um, the wage subsidy, um, which would support things like hotels to hire back their staff, even if they're not fully utilizing them and get a lot of government support. I mean, 75% of your payroll could be covered by the, the federal government if, if you got the wage subsidy. Some of those, you know, 4 million people or 4 million people who went back off of CERB did so because they went back to work, but some went onto the wage subsidy. Um, and so as we see, you know, the, the wage subsidy, uh, you know, being potentially difficult to apply for, dif- difficult to renew for places like hotels or, or restaurants, well, what's going to happen is those folks are just going to move right back into EI or one of these replacement programs. But wait a minute, um, the wage subsidy is going till the end of the year, is it not? Yeah, yeah. And so if people do have difficulty, though, at the end of the year, sort of, um, you know, keeping people on at that point, those people will move into EI or one of these new programs, which will extend far further than that. Um, and so, I mean, it, it becomes a real challenge for industries like uh, like uh, like food and hospitality. I mean, these industries are, are the hardest hit industries of any of the industries in Canada. Um, this summer, I mean, summer is traditionally a time where there is some tourism spending um, and spending on you know food, and and so there, this may well be. I mean, it's it's not a it's not a good situation, but there may have been some reprieve over the summer. The real challenge, I think, is going to come in the fall when, say, restaurants can't stay open with patios, for instance, uh, or it's the small amount of tourism dollars that were spent this summer, say, on going to hotels also dries up. Um, and so I think it's, it's in, and it, in reality, I think that it, it, in the present context, without an effective treatment, without a cure uh, for COVID-19, I mean, uh, it's, it's just going to be extremely difficult for that, you know, the food and hospitality industry in particular and some portions of retail um, to survive at the level they were at in, in uh, you know, in February before this all began. It is a very concerning period coming up. Uh, as mentioned, uh, we are transitioning from outdoor eating to indoor eating. Uh, there is no fix for the rent program. Uh, that's a fixed cost and, and a mighty one uh, for a, a slim margin industry. The wage subsidy that I mentioned has been the only tool that the industry has been able to rely on to keep the doors open with patios. And when that goes away, it's going to hurt, as I said earlier, employers and employees. So if there are changes to the CERB, they should be extending the Canadian emergency subsidy to be able to allow some of these businesses to stay afloat, to have a lifeline to pay their employees. Well, they, they have been extended, though, until the end of the year. The wage subsidy. Uh, it's fading away, and the end of the year is just uh, uh, a few weeks away. <laughs> that's the issue. <laughs> I think it's a few we, months. We are seeing a, a journey here that is going to go into 2021 for sure. I'd like to delve into uh, w- one of the 
bad aspects of what's happened during the pandemic that we have started to notice. And that is the she session that women are disproportionately hurt because they're likely to be in low paying professions. They're more likely to be collecting the CERB and they're more likely to have the burden of childcare. David, what would you like to say about that? Well, it's certainly true that there's that there's more women versus men who have lost uh, work or the majority of their hours in this recession. Um, what that means is there's actually more women than men receiving the CERB, but it also means there's more women than men that will be worse off after this transition when CERB ends at the end of the month. So there'll be 1.6 million women who will be worse off after the CERB ends and 1.2 million men. Um, that's largely just due to the fact there's more women receiving the CERB in the first place. The other place that, that uh, you know, this pandemic has really put the squeeze on women um, is that it, some of the reasons why women aren't going to return to work um, or, or they're not going to go back to their full hours uh, anytime soon. The first is childcare. And this was a huge issue in the spring of last year uh, where we saw the closure of both schools and child cares, uh, which means kids have to stay home. Well, someone has to take care of those kids, usually uh, the you know in a couple household uh, the woman is the lower earner and is often the one who will either quit or take take hours off to stay home. Um, that may well recur this fall. I mean kids are going back to school now. Uh, certainly a concern that we may see additional shutdowns and you know kids have to isolate for 14 days and someone to stay home with them. Um, you know the other the other piece I think that that um, is also probably coming into play is that um, women are often caregivers. Uh, for themselves or for others at home besides just children. So if you are in a situation where um, you have, you yourself are, are, you know, have some underlying health condition, or maybe you've got, you know, parents living at home have got an underlying health condition, um, it may well be the lower earner, again, often the woman who, who doesn't go to work as, you know, to try to restrict um, the exposure of that particular family to COVID-19. And that's very unique to this recession. Um, and it's and it's going to hit, you know, it has hit women uh, very hard in the spring uh, and it will likely hit them again in the fall as, uh, you know, as we start to see schools restart. Tony Ellenis, uh, I'm assuming that most of the workers in your industry are women. Well, of course, it's not, that's not intentional. That's just the makeup of the demographics in the working force. I agree. And uh, so how will that factor or how is that factor affecting you? Is is that a factor in, you know, you were talking about some people being reluctant to go back to work, but uh, is the child care issue a factor in that? Well, the factor related to the hospitality industry specifically in this topic is that, you know, this industry and the jobs we're referring to cannot work from home. Uh, I believe, and I've seen a report not too long ago, where hospitality jobs were ranked first in not being able to do the job at home. Simple. And, and I think that differentiates, uh, of course, the, um, the ability of a hospitality worker to go back uh, to work uh, versus staying home. If they stay home uh, for reasons that were just stated, and I agree with that, uh, then they they would need to have a modified modified job, and there's no way they could do that in most positions within the hospitality trade. Well, of course not. It's a it's an on-site kind of a job. It's a face-to-face industry. It's engagement, and you know everything about these industry strengths is what's hurting our business. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, David, how do you see this playing out? I mean, we we we've heard 
talk about uh, some beefed up child care coming from the liberal government. But on the other hand, they'd have to gear up. I can't see anything like that, uh, you know, taking effect uh, anytime very soon. Yeah, I mean, certainly on the childcare front, it's not like there's a whole bunch of childcare centers that are empty. We just put some people in there and, you know, you have twice the childcare capacity. Uh, it, it takes time to build that up and, you know, provide the type of affordable care that you'd find in some provinces, um, you know, like, like Quebec. I mean, it's much more expensive to have childcare in Ontario than it is in Quebec. Um, and so that is, you know, that's a longer term proposition. It's not going to be ready by January 2021. Um, I think the, the other thing, too, is a lot of the analysis, well, most of the, the pieces of this analysis that, that I did looking at where people are going to go post-CERB, these are actually suggestions. I mean, the legislation hasn't been passed that says that these Canada recovery programs are going to pay this amount and, uh, you know, you get under these criteria and so on. Um, these are proposals uh, that that could pass uh, when Parliament comes back on the 23rd, but they might also be changed. Um, and this is, uh, you know, it's just as, as likely for the, the wage subsidy. So the, you know, the, the Liberals pro Parliament, they're coming back. Um, they have some proposals on the table. We'll likely hear more proposals. Um, you know, I think that childcare is an important piece of this puzzle. And, uh, you know, the, the push needs to happen, but, um, uh, you know, it needs to happen now because there's a delay between the time you allocate money and the time there are new spaces. And I think we'll hear a lot more on the 23rd and get, I think, more concrete details because at, at this point, a lot of this, I suspect, is being negotiated between, you know, what the Liberals want and potentially what the NDP wants who might support them or one of the other parties who might support them. Uh, is it cutting it a bit close? I mean, the 23rd is the throne speech. The 27th, the CERB runs out, though I guess there's always an option that they can just extend the CERB while they uh, figure it out. Yeah, four days. That's how, that's how much time yeah, they I have to, to create the, the second biggest transferal of income transfers in our countries, you know, in recent, in recent memory, four days. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's a pretty short runway. Uh, that's not, ideally, that's not how you would do these sorts of things. Um, you know, the proroguing of Parliament made it a very tight timeline. Of course, as you say, uh, you know, they could easily extend serve for another month. Uh, that's what we've done before, this sort of ad hoc approach. That's not, I'm not really a fan of that. But then again, I don't really want massive programs that support 4 million Canadians to be designed in four days. Um, the other thing that they could also do is make um, these new supports retroactive. So you, you, know, you pass in 10 days from now, but make them retroactive to the start of September. But I mean, it, it just piles on the uncertainty for the, for the millions of Canadians that are relying on these programs of, you know, what, what do they mean? How do they apply? When do they apply? Um, you know, have they even been passed? Are they even law yet? Um, you know, it's, it's going to be a real challenging time for people who've lost work and are really relying on these programs. Yeah. It is also my belief that I believe governments around the world, not just in Canada, are waiting for this second wave and, and the impact that would have specifically to the government funding and where do they apply it and prioritize with that. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're, we're already seeing a surge in cases. And I know, uh, Tony, there's been a bit of a recovery in your industry, but are most people prepared for, you know, that to be, uh, that to be rolled back, uh, sometime as, as soon as we have to spend more time indoors and these cases keep going up? Yeah. Just to clarify that, I think the recovery for our industry has been in, in, in hotels outside the Toronto area, um, with about 20, 30% occupancies for the summer, Torontonians traveling out of the city. But September, October, we're already seeing reservations declining tremendously. Again, going back to the indoors. And, and the biggest obstacle we have is 
is uh, building trust with the consumer and, and, and the confidence for them to be indoors. Uh, meetings, conferences, group-type meetings are all restricted. Um, sports events are restricted. The borders are closed. Those are the drivers that, that make our industry successful. Mm-hmm. And David McDonald, are, are, is there anything that, that you've drilled down on that could help the business end of this? Well, I mean, this is, you know, looking at CERB and transferring over, I mean, these are people who've already lost work. So they're, you know, they're already in the CERB because they've lost hours or they've lost their jobs and so on. And so this is important supports for them. And had those supports not been in place, spending would have been even lower in, you know, in, in food and hospitality because people didn't have as much money. I think on the business side of things, the wage subsidy, um, as well as the, you know, the, the wage subsidy, which, which has improved over time in terms of allowing people to gain access to it. Um, but the rental piece is a huge piece, the commercial rent forgiveness program that, that really relies on the landlords to, to initiate the process as opposed to the, the, the businesses that are renting the space, uh, you know, has it, it could have it could have really made a huge difference in a massive fixed cost for a lot of people. And unfortunately, it won't. Um, you know, it, it was a real lost opportunity to really reduce the fixed costs of, you know, small, medium-sized businesses who, who pay rent, and it's a big part of, you know, their, their fixed costs. Oh, yeah, so, we've, uh, we've heard a lot about that over uh, the extent of this. But um, thank you so much for that. We are out of time. Thank you very much, David McDonald from the Center for Policy Alternatives and Tony Ellenis from the Ontario Restaurant, Hotel, and Motel Association. Appreciate your time. Have a great day. Thank you. Thanks. And that's all the time we have for today. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.